Hello and welcome to The Lowdown, an insider's look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us on WOMR 92.1 FM Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM Orleans, and streaming worldwide on WOMR.org. If there's one way you can tell that summer is approaching on Cape Cod, it is not the temperature or the traffic or the pollen, although those are pretty reliable indicators. It's the articles in the newspapers that hype shark attacks. Just this past Sunday, the Boston Herald ran a headline that said, first Cape Cod shark sighting of the season as great white chomps on seal and gleefully added graphic content warning. Not to minimize the suffering endured by shark bite victims or the tragedy of those who have lost their lives. But according to today's guest, humans have an incredibly low risk of being bitten by a shark. Talking with me today via telephone is David Schiffman, a marine conservation biologist at Arizona State University. He's published scores of articles about sharks, lectures frequently, and is incredibly active and available on social media. His new book is Why Sharks Matter, a deep dive with the world's most misunderstood predator. David Schiffman, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me, Ira. So, I know it's your least favorite question, but it's also the one that most people really want the answer to. As you know, we had a shark death here a couple of years ago. Yes. So how scared do we need to be about being attacked by a shark? Can we swim safely in the ocean? Yeah, so it's extremely unlikely for someone to be bitten by a shark. And let me tell you what I mean by that. And I'm not saying it never happens. Fatalities do happen, serious injuries happen, but it's astronomically unlikely. More people die in a typical year from not paying attention and falling off cliffs while they're trying to take selfies of the scenery by sharks. More people die from flower pots falling on their head when they walk down the street than are killed by sharks. More people die in lawnmower accidents or toaster accidents. More people are bitten by other people on the New York City subway every year than are bitten by sharks in the whole world. So it is a risk. It's something to keep in mind. Um, and certainly you should respect sharks and be aware of them. But it's not. you don't need to be terrified to go in the water. So the book talks about the shark's incredible sense of smell as well as their hearing and their ability to detect electromagnetic fields. So if they have all these abilities and they'd rather eat fish or plankton or shellfish, why would they bite humans? It's a great question. And the short answer is I don't have any idea and neither does anyone else. Anyone who tells you exactly why a wild animal does or does not do something is someone you should probably not take seriously. <laughs> but the, a leading theory is mistaken identity. Sharks have these amazing senses that you that you referenced, honed over hundreds of millions of years. There were sharks swimming and hunting in the ocean, not only before there were dinosaurs on land, but before there were trees on land. Just an ancient group. But they're used to being able to, they're, they're very good at being able to find possible prey. And most of what's in their environment is prey. It's only relatively recently that things like Boats and fish gear and humans are entering the water, things that are not typically food for them. 
So they're really well adapted for a set of environmental conditions that doesn't completely exist anymore. So one, one point of evidence in favor of this mistaken identity theory is that if you, you see a shark bite a seal, like that amazing footage that the Boston Herald was talking about, that's been all over shark science and conservation social media this week, um, you see that the shark goes back and finishes the job, right? It bites the seal, the seal is injured, and it goes back, and it continues eating. That's not what happens when sharks bite people. Most shark bites are what are called hit and run. That means the shark bites the human and immediately goes, ah, what was that? And the human often never sees the shark that bit them. So all this advice about punch a shark in the nose and it'll stop biting you is not especially practical. Also, I don't know if you've ever tried punching underwater. Uh, it's great exercise for senior citizens, but it's not especially useful for anything else. Um, so it's it's we believe that probably mistaken identity that it's uh, also from below a surfer looks an awful lot like a seal, especially if they're covered in a black neoprene wetsuit. Uh, so we don't really know why sharks bite people, but it doesn't happen very often. And it's probably mistaken identity. Okay, so I would assume that when you go on vacation, you, like most of us, enjoy swimming in the ocean. So last question on this subject. Are there any particular precautions that you take? For instance, like not wearing a wetsuit. Yeah. So most of where I go swimming, it's very warm and I don't need to wear a wetsuit. Uh, most of the most of my dives uh, as a recreational diver are in South Florida, where I wear a T-shirt so that BC doesn't chafe on my shoulders. But I don't usually ha even have to wear a wetsuit. Some basic precautions that you can take. Stay close to other people, close to shore. Avoid river mouths. If you see a bunch of seals, that's a good reason to be not there. Uh, and uh, dawn and dusk are times when some shark species are especially active. So notably, what I just said there is the exact opposite of what surfers do. They often go surfing before or after work far from shore by themselves. And it's, it's no accident that what, even though shark bites are relatively uncommon, they are more common with surfers than other ocean users. You wrote that we're discovering new species of sharks all the time. All the time, right? Isn't that crazy? And and, was... and when you wrote the book, you said there were 536. So how many are there? Are there still 536? How many more sharks are there? How many kinds of sharks? The authoritative reference on this is a, a reference book called Sharks of the World. And it hasn't been updated since I wrote the book. So the official number is still at 536, but there have been certainly many more discovered since then. There was one just a few weeks ago that's gotten a lot of media attention called the demon cat shark. Uh, and it's, it just has these crazy eyes. And it's a very cool animal. But there's, there is a new species of shark or shark relative, the skates, the rays, and the chimeras, discovered somewhere in the world every two weeks. And that pattern's been going for 10 or 15 years. So if there are any younger folks listening, uh, there's still going to be plenty for you to do if you want to be a marine biologist when you grow up, like I guarantee at least one of your parents did. Let's talk about some of the reasons that sharks are so important to the ecosystem and that you say humans are much better off with a healthy shark population. For one thing, they keep prey 
populations in check. What is a prey population and why is this a good thing? Yeah. So where I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, we used to have wolves there. But who wants wolves in your backyard? That's scary. So we killed all the wolves. And now there's too many deer. The deer prey population has exploded. And the deer are sick. There's not enough food for all of them. They go places they wouldn't normally go, like into people's backyards and into neighborhoods. And they spread things like Lyme disease. Um, we, we don't want prey populations to grow out of control. And a natural check on that is predators eating the sick, the weak, and the dying. When you hear about survival of the fittest, predators are a big part of the reason why the not fit don't survive. And that's a, a really, really important um, eco- ecosystem service. Uh, they keep the keep the food web in balance in general, because when one prey population explodes, it can send ripple effects throughout the entire food chain. And when we're talking about our coastal ecosystems, these these food chains that billions of humans depend on for food and tens of millions of humans depend on for jobs. So we really, really want to have healthy oceans and coasts. And that means a healthy food chain. And that means a healthy top of the food chain. The book mentions a concept called trophic cascades, which yes. is basically a ripple through the food chain. Most of us know how important coral reefs are, but I did not know that less sharks might contribute to less coral reefs. Tell us how that works. Yes. Yeah, so a trophic cascade is exactly as you say, it's a ripple effect through the food chain, often caused by a decline in predators. When there's fewer predators, then their prey explodes in population, then what those prey used to eat declines in population, then what whatever that is used to eat explodes in population, and so on and so on. And the model for this in a coral reef ecosystem is fewer sharks leads to more shark prey, large fish like groupers. Those might eat more parrotfish and other herbivorous fish than they otherwise would, bringing those fish numbers down. And when when those fish numbers go down, algae grows out of control on coral reefs, and that smothers the symbiotic microorganisms that live in there that coral need to survive. So even though sharks aren't directly interacting with the coral, uh, other than using it as habitat, the loss of sharks can cause these ecosystem-wide ripple effects, these trophic cascades can spread all the way to uh, the base of the ecosystem, coral reef itself. And then when the corals die, that affects all kinds of things that need coral reefs to live on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about sharks, how dangerous they are, how endangered they are, and how humans are much better off with them them without them. My guest is marine conservation biologist David Schiffman, and we're talking about his book, Why Sharks Matter, a deep dive with the world's most misunderstood predator. David, people's fear of sharks is a dangerous thing because it results in less support for shark conservation. At the same time, you tell us that sharks are one of the most threatened groups of animals in the world. Overfishing is one of the biggest issues, as is bycatch. Now, tell us what that encompasses in terms of sharks. Yeah. So the latest numbers from the IUCN Red List, uh, which is an international team of scientific experts, says that about a third of all known species of sharks and their relatives are estimated or assessed as threatened with extinction. That's a lot. 
Uh, very few vertebrate animals are as threatened as sharks and their relatives. And the number one threat by far is unsustainable fishing practices. It's humans killing sharks. That includes killing sharks on purpose for shark fin soup, which a lot of people have heard of, and for shark meat, which a lot of people have not heard of, even though um, the New England is home to the largest shark fishery in the United States for dogfish. That's primarily a, a meat fishery. Um, and it includes accidentally catching sharks, which is bycatch. That's when you're trying to catch tuna and you accidentally catch sea turtles and seabirds and, and uh, sharks and rays that were swimming near the tuna. Uh, but, uh, if anyone remembers the dolphin safe tuna discussions from the 1990s, that was a bycatch issue. The turtle exclude device discussion from the 1990s, that was a bycatch issue. So the, the number one threat to shark by far is us and specifically some harmful fishing practices. There are a lot of charter boat excursions in the waters around Cape Cod. Um, I was checking them out on the internet yesterday. They offer 12-hour adventures of a lifetime to go after mako, blue sharks, and thresher sharks. Is this worrisome to a shark conservationist? What are the dangers of targeting these biggest fish? Mako sharks in particular are a species of significant conservation concern lately, um, and so much so that there's a, a moratorium on commercial fisheries for them in the Atlantic. Uh, I did note with some amusement that when I visited Provincetown last year, walking around the marina, uh, there were a bunch of boats where I could go look at, pay to go look at whales, or a bunch of boats where I could go pay to kill sharks. Uh, those are your choices for interacting with marine life in your area. Um, blue sharks are a species people are paying, starting to pay conservation attention to. They're one of the most fished species of sharks in the world, and that's probably of a source of some concern, but for now, they don't seem to be severely overfished. But makos, I'm, I'm worried about. What about threshers? I, I actually don't know the conservation status of Atlantic threshers. I should know that. Uh, but I know that there are there are uh, thresher shark fisheries on the West Coast of the United States that are considered to be relatively well-managed. Um, and yeah, I'm just not sure about Atlantic threshers. All right, now here's a question that I, that this is a personal question that I didn't find the answer to in your book, and that is, why are hammerhead sharks so weird? Where did that head come from? Yeah, isn't that crazy? So hammerheads are one of the relatively newest groups of sharks to evolve, and what they use that head for a few different things. One is that their electrosense, and all sharks and rays have this to some extent, but the cephalofoil the hammer part of the of the hammerhead, um, that's extra surface area for that. So you often see them sweeping their head across the bottom, looking for prey that's hiding under the sand, the same way you might see someone at the beach with a metal detector for basically the same reason. Um, it also, the way that the, the head is shaped and sort of angled up at the sides helps them turn. Uh, so they can turn just on a dime. If you've ever seen drone footage, of hammerheads hunting stingrays or tarpon in Florida. It's very cool and can go really fast and just turn unbelievably quickly because they have this, this trailing edge on their heads. Uh, another cool thing about this is people often say, well, if their eyes are out to the sun like that, they probably can't see very well, right? Well, no, they can actually see extremely well because they don't, they swim by undulating their body back and forth. And with their eyes like that, it means that they basically can see it almost 360 degrees. 
Do sharks have um, teeth on their eyeballs? So whale sharks do have teeth on their eyeballs. Isn't that crazy? That was a new discovery a couple years ago. Uh, and it was done, I believe, a dissection of whale shark that died at an aquarium in Japan. So sharks' bodies are covered in these tiny teeth-like structures called dermal denticles, which means skin teeth. If you touch a shark in one direction, nose to tail, they're very smooth. If you touch it the other direction, it's rough enough that it can cut your hand. Uh, they used to use uh, skate and ray and small shark skin as sandpaper. But whale sharks have these, these teeth directly on their eyeballs, not their eyelids, not their eye socket, on the eyeball itself, which is just wild. So you you continue to be amazed every day. I mean, you don't every day. Every day you yeah. learn something new about sharks. Why is that? Is that because there's there hasn't been an awful lot of work being done in the area, or because they're just new species being discovered? Why do you keep learning new stuff about them? I don't even know. Do you think whale people are continually learning new things? Whale people are continually continually learning things, but there aren't as many whales as there are sharks and rays. Um, and it's a relatively more recent group of animals. And I'm sure they get amazed by stuff too. But there's a, I just have amazing colleagues all over the world who are working hard and learning cool stuff all the time. And my inbox and scientific journal table of content alerts and all of that stuff is is overflowing at any given day with cool things that people want me to talk about. <laughs> you tell us that there are various philosophies that might be successful in conserving and protecting sharks, from protecting the species most threatened with extinction to protecting species that don't have a lot of close relatives to protecting the keystone species, those that are on the top of the food chain. So how do you pick and choose how best to conserve sharks? Yeah, that's a lot of the stuff that I'm working on right now. And a really cool project that we just did was identifying conservation research priorities for shark and ray species found in U.S. waters. And how we did this was we just assembled this team of experts, including academic researchers, conservationists, government managers, uh, members of the fishing community who are interested in management stuff. And we just had them say, what do we not know that you think we should know? And we just compiled everyone's responses and we came up with this list of outstanding research priorities about what do we need to understand in order to better protect these animals that we don't understand now. And the, the short answer to your question is, uh, well, what's the most effective way to protect a given species? It's every scientist's favorite answer to every question and every journalist's least favorite answer. It depends. <laughs> All right. So it depends on what? On, on what's working or where we are? What does it depend oh, on? Yeah, it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on the species, where it goes, the threats it faces, what sort of existing laws are there, what sort of existing research capacity is there, what sort of enforcement capacity is there. So if you just protect something on paper, but there's no one there making sure that the rules are actually followed, it probably doesn't help that much. So it's also really important to get community buy-in to make sure people understand why the rules are there and agree to support them. Um, and the, the stick of, of enforcement is important sometimes too. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about sharks, how dangerous they are, how endangered, and how humans are much better off with them than without them. My guest is marine conservation biologist David Schiffman, and we're talking about his book, Why Sharks Matter, a deep dive with the world's most misunderstood predator. Okay, here's a question I knew that you uh, know is coming. How helpful or dangerous is discovery? Channels <laughs> Shark Week that's going to happen. Well, I think it's every year for the past 35 years on the week after 4th of July. So, talk about your work in terms of Shark Week. Does it help? Does it hurt? What What is it? Shark Week is an enormous wasted opportunity. It is the biggest stage in marine biology or ocean conservation. They have an audience of millions, and there's nothing that's meaningful about public education, about conservation. Uh, we just did what what's called a content and discourse analysis, which means we had two poor undergraduate volunteers watch every episode of Shark Week ever, over 200, and just write down what's in it. What do they do? Where do they go? What tools do they use? Who's featured? What do they say? What do they not say? And we found in over 200 episodes, there were only six, only six, specific mentions of what their audience of millions can do to help shark. And three of those were don't eat shark soup, which most Americans are already not doing. Uh, but the good news is we have time for not one, but two specials where the guys from Jackass launched chum hands at sharks and one of them got bitten. But it's a shame there's no room for any actual science or conservation anymore. Uh, there are some good specials every year. Uh, Greg Skomel, who's very uh, does a lot of his work out by you guys, uh, is a, is a regular feature on Shark Week, and his specials are often very good. Uh, but there's just so much useless nonsense and misinformation and wildlife harassment. What's your best solution to keeping people safe on the beach? Is it Tracking sharks via spotter, then warning people out of the water. What's what's the best thing that a community can do to to try to help people and keep people going, coming back to their community and going swimming? Yeah, so tracking sharks is a good solution as long as it's understood that it's not the only solution because you're not going to be able to track every shark. Um, the, the, so the app that's in your area, I think, is called Sharktivity. Is that right? I don't know. I, I don't know. Oh, there's something. There, there's some system uh, run through the Department of the Department of Marine Fisheries and uh, groups like that that alerts lifeguards when there's a shark found in the area. Public education is a big thing. Making sure people are aware. Don't go out by yourself far from shore in the middle of the night. Uh, when I visited the Cape last summer. I saw all those signs that say, warning, there are sharks around. Here's the scientific data about where they are and what they're doing. That helps. Uh, having lots of cards available helps because a lot of people um, who have died probably wouldn't have if they got access to medical attention sooner. Uh, the shark the shark it bite itself did not immediately kill someone. It was just a serious injury where they were badly hurt. And if they had gotten medical care sooner, many of them would have survived. So. Having access to that helps. But just being aware and making so you can make more informed choices, maybe don't do unnecessarily risky things in certain times of the year. That'll help a lot. Are sharks sort of warned away 
by groups of people? Is that why you say that you should swim when there's a lot of people around? Are they are they more cautious when they sense larger groups of people? It's not necessarily cautious, but think about schooling fish. Why do they do that? Because it it presents it a, a single lone prey individual is an easier target. Um, so that that's why they go for the seal that's swimming far away from the rest of the seals or the fish that got lost from the herd or that you know, got lost from the school. Um, just being around other people is helpful for a lot of reasons. It, it doesn't scream vulnerable, lone, lost individual. And also, if something does happen, there's people there who can help. Are most people, when they are bitten on the beach bitten by the, the 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 great feared great white shark or are there various different kinds of shark that presents dangers to people when they're swimming there are uh, so when do you know the tv show 24 with Kiefer sutherland sure so when that when did the reboot of that i did a blog post of 24 species of shark that have killed fewer people than Kiefer sutherland's character Jeff bauer and uh, they, it was actually very hard to make that blog post because uh, it turns out that only about 10 species have ever hurt a human at all and or have ever killed a human at all. And if you just look at the number of individuals that are, that are killed on screen by Jack Bauer, not even referencing <laughs> his off-screen ex- exploits that we don't see, he's killed more humans than all sharks ever. <laughs> so there are um, there are other species that are responsible for bites. I believe that some of the bites off New York last year were attributed to sand tiger sharks. Uh, in Florida, it's often black tip sharks, sometimes lemon sharks, sometimes spinner sharks. So uh, it's black, uh, great whites uh, get all the attention, and a, a great white bite is uh, likely to be fairly severe. But they don't bite people very often. It's the smaller animals closer to shore that are are more likely, but still very, very, very unlikely to enter someone. There was a there was a fact in your book that really blew my mind, and that was that it's especially harmful to kill older, larger sharks because sharks have such a difficult time reproducing. Um, yes. Can you unpack that for me? Sure. So in most fish, uh, they sort of keep growing. And the number of babies they have and how healthy those babies are is dependent entirely on how big the mother is. So bigger, larger individuals have more babies and healthier babies than smaller, less healthy individuals. So there's this this term in uh, fisheries management called BOFs, which stands for big, old, fat, fertile females. Uh, and they're especially uh, valuable targets uh, uh, for protecting because they help the population balance because one individual boff can have more babies than several individual smaller juveniles. So that would say to me that that these expeditions that go off looking for great yeah, it's big not, it's not dangerous great. sharks those are those are those are very dangerous for that reason. They certainly have a disproportionate impact relative to how many uh, individual sharks they're catching. So your book is not only informative, but it's really a lot of fun to read. You oh, really nice you hear. really communicate that you love your work, but yeah. you also mention that you get a fair amount of flack. You actually get hate mail 
and death threats. I do. <laughs> what yeah. What are you saying that makes people take so much issue with you? Yeah, people are weird. Um, so I actually get it from both sides. There was someone who used to send me this ridiculous hate mail all the time. Whenever any shark anywhere in the world bit someone, he would personally blame me for it because I didn't support his plan to hunt down and kill all the sharks in the world. And he would also CC various world leaders on these emails. So like the prime, the prime minister of Australia probably can't get emails from me if ever that would come up because I'm caught in a spam filter from being on one of these. Uh, but I also get it from eco-extremists that say not true and not helpful things about what the threats to the ocean are and how we can help save the ocean. Um, and they think I'm some sort of industry sellout because I say, yes, about a third of all known species of sharks are considered threatened with extinction, but not 100% of them. And we can have sustainable fisheries for sharks, such as the dogfish fishery found off Massachusetts. Okay. I want to thank you so much. I'm now going to go swimming this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have my wife listen to this, so she'll let me go swimming this summer. Today we've been talking about sharks with marine conservation biologist David Schiffman. I want to thank Maddie Dunn for his tech work on the show. Why Sharks Matter is a wonderful book, really informative and really fun to read for a science book. And it was recently published by Johns Hopkins University Press. This is Ira Wood with the lowdown on how to live with, swim with, and protect sharks one interview at a time bye for now <laughs>